Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 12. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said, because it has been given to you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's been given to you. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I want to talk for just a, a little bit tonight, and if you, yeah, you set that clock. Um, we're continuing on, you know, the theme uh, for this church for this year, as you know, is vertical, uh, that God is taking us vertical. And um, pastor's been on a series on Sunday morning right now within that theme on uh, creating new normals. How many of y'all enjoyed Sunday's word? Creating a new normal concerning your faith. And uh, I want to speak for a little bit tonight. I may have to do this tonight and next Wednesday uh, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor your time tonight. But um, Lord, let your word do all that it's capable of doing tonight. Challenge, empower excite, inspire, charge your people tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. High five about three people before you're seated and say, it's been given to you. So probably maybe a little bit more so than, than the average uh, message that I, I bring on Wednesdays. I need to slow down just a little bit at the start here to kind of lay out my case, the foundation for this. Okay, is that all right? You know, amen? Because Matthew chapter 13 is a really incredible passage of scripture. And what has happened before that prompted the question from the disciples is the beginning of chapter 13. Jesus confines himself to everything he is sharing with people, first of all, he's sharing to a crowd that is uh, very diverse in its representation. There are, there are religious leaders there, which have so far in Jesus' ministry up to this point have not been his, his, his biggest fans. There's Pharisees, Sadducees, there's hungry people, people there with, for their own reasons and motives, I'm sure. And, um, and uh, people that are there because they, they are truly interested in following him. And, uh, and then people are curious and what have you. And to a mixed crowd, Jesus doesn't say anything. You know, it's not like the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He comes right out and he just says it to, it in, says it to him in plain English. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right, for they shall see God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those, and he, all the way through that. But he, he resorts to parables and not parables that are easily understood. It's easy for us in hindsight to look at that in light of the totality of scripture that those parables are included in. And we go, well, it's obvious what that means. But at the moment, they didn't, it, it, was, it was confusing to the crowd. And his own disciples pulled him to the side and said, Lord, why, why are you doing this? Why are you talking strictly in parables? And, and Matthew 13 takes a deeper prophetic dive, a dive into prophetic fulfillment 
than probably what we can, we can go into tonight. But there's a reason why he's talking strictly through parables. And he tells them, he said, because it's given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. To the rest of these out here, they don't have ears to hear. They have ears, but in hearing they do not hear. They have eyes that cannot see. They don't even have the capacity to understand. But to you it's given. You know, there's, this was a blind spot that Jesus is, 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 is giving the potential to his disciples for access. It was a blind spot to many prophets, to most prophets, to most great leaders and spiritual men and women of, of old. I want to put a graphic up. This will help us better understand because, because Jewish scholars, well, let me stick with that. Y'all know what that is, right? Trying to figure, we don't know anything about that in Houston. This is all flat. But there are places where you can look from the valley and see mountain ranges. What I want you to see for a second is, is, is how there could be gaps in the understanding and even the prophetic unction of qualified people. You remember when David, King David is sitting in his luxurious house that's made out of imported cedars from Lebanon and he says to the prophet Nathan, I don't feel right, I don't feel good about this. I'm living in this palatial palace and the Ark of the Covenant that represents God's presence among his people is sitting out there on top of a hill under a tent. I want to build the Lord a house. And Nathan says to him, listen, go and do what's in your heart for the Lord is with you. We've talked about this before, yes? Nathan didn't miss anything. He did not misspeak. It was simply, listen, the prophets and great matriarchs and patriarchs and holy men and women of old were, were confined to the same thing you and I are. That is, we know in part, so we prophesy in part. Now we see through a glass darkly. It's like looking through tinted glass and you see, you see certain images. You see, there is, Jesus is, is identifying in Matthew 13 the age a, a parenthetical insertion, if you will, that the people of old and the prophets of old did not see. And the crowd he's talking to are not able to grasp it either. So he's telling parables, hoping that the people that have already committed to follow him, whose hearts are bent toward him, they can hear by the Spirit of God and they can get the revelation as to what it is Jesus is giving them access to. Because what would happen is, you know, visions and, and words. Well, let me finish that. So, you know, Nathan goes to bed that night and God taps him in his sleep and says, Nathan, um, there's a little something I didn't let you in on. You're going to have to go back to David in the morning and tell him, time out. You're not going to build me a house. Your descendants will rise up after you and they will build me a house. But I'm doing something special through you. You tell David that the Lord is going to build him a house. Yes? And so the Lord used David's life to prophetically shine the light on something that was to come years and years and years, centuries later. Ironically, the same age that Jesus is speaking of right here. Because what would happen, if you look at a mountain range like that, that's, that's kind of an elementary drawing, but it's the best I could find today that wouldn't be so blurry you couldn't see it. So sometimes those mountain peaks look like they're right up against each other, right? They just kind of all rest 
up again. You might, it, it, the illusion is you might not even realize that in between one peak and the next, there might be a whole city in there. Right? So the Jewish people were seeing the chronology of things. Here's what, here was their expectation. From Elijah, then there would come the Messiah, and then would come the establishment of, the, of, of, of his kingdom. They didn't get it wrong. They just saw, they saw the second return or coming of Jesus and what he would accomplish at his second return. They didn't see him coming in a manger in swaddling clothes and the, the era of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, they didn't see that. Look at your neighbor and say, but you're in it. Because most of the people that prophesied in the Old Testament, they did not see, they could not grasp, they did not understand the church age. That's why it was so difficult for the Israelites to accept Jesus as the Messiah because they couldn't argue with the miracles, signs, and wonders. But his strategy was all off. He's talking about laying his life down and giving himself for a ransom. And he's talking about all this stuff. Their, Their expectation based upon what they knew in part from the prophecies was that Jesus was to punch his enemies in the mouth and establish his kingdom and reign righteousness on all the earth. Well, he will, but there's this parentheses, and he tells in Matthew, he tells eight different parables, all alluding to the same theme, but from different angles. And he's talking about the access, the privilege, the benefit that those who believed in him and would follow him would have access to. Are you with me? So, the mystery that he's speaking of here, Paul identifies later in the epistles that the mystery is the church. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the mystery. You're in the mystery. The the simplest version here, without having to really try to dive deeper into all of that, that, is that Jesus, in the middle of this crowd, starts telling parables that speak of the characteristics and the qualities and the dynamics that would only be visible, that would only be accessible by those that entered into the, 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 the prefix, if you will, of the kingdom age. And that is the church. So for those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, those whose hearts will receive revelation from the Holy Spirit, he lays out some heavy duty things in this 13th chapter of Matthew. Things, characteristics identified that should be commonplace and will be commonplace In the church. The theme is this. God the great equalizer. Within the mystery age. Makes it clear in these eight parables. That he does not intend to play fair. I can tell I'm just messing y'all up. From several different sides tonight. But I'm telling you. God never promised to play fair. 
He's just, but not fair. Tell somebody next to you, favor ain't fair. What do I mean by that? Well, one little glimpse, he says this, to those who already have, more will be given, so they've got abundance. To those who don't have, that won't work their resources, that won't believe God, that squander opportunities, that miss potential and and open doors and won't do anything, even what little they do have will be taken from them and given to the guy who's already got abundance. What he's doing, he's identifying the way life should be expected to live and be expected to be observed in the kingdom of God. Tell your neighbor, Ain't nothing fair about church. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll unravel that in a little bit more. We'll keep going. He tells in these eight parables that this age would be a time of great manifestations. Through one of the parables, he lets us know that a suspension of natural law would be a regular occurrence. Miraculous would come in abundance. And here's the key word. The theme that weaves through all eight of these parables is exponential increase or elevation. Which means rapid or multiplied increase. Jesus talked, the the, the prophets talked about this earlier back when they said, listen, the day is coming when the reaper will, come on somebody that's read that, help me. The reaper will overtake the sower. Speaking also of this age, one of the prophets said it like this. Can the Lord build a nation in a day? Can a woman give birth to a child before she's even gone into labor? And God says, I the Lord, I can make a woman give birth to a child before she has felt a pain. And yes, I, the Lord, can raise up a city and build a nation overnight. What I'm trying to move toward in this two-week series here is this. My heart, and I know pastor's heart is the same thing. My heart for these Wednesday experiences is that you get inspired to dare to believe God that you have access to a greater life greater benefits, a higher level of living and existence than what you may have accepted as normal up to this point. Come on, somebody. That you raise your level of expectancy based on the word. Because while Jesus shares these parables that identify this is what life, this is what normal life looks like in this age I'm speaking of. The age that you as followers of me, you're in this now. You don't even know it, but you're in it. And then he says, but it's, you, 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 it has to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. And so, everybody say, either way you look at it, we're in it. One puts a thousand to flight. Two puts 10,000 to flight. That makes the math all wrong. You don't know what comes next. If it was sequential, then we could figure it out. Maybe there's a multiplication equation there. One puts a thousand flight, a thousand to flight. Two puts two thousand to flight. Three puts 
right? One puts a thousand, two puts four, three puts, right? But when he jumps around like that, one puts a thousand to flight, two puts 10,000 to flight. We don't know what's next. Three, hundred thousand, a million. The point is, is that the kingdom of God, the church that you and I are living in, that we are planted in, we are a part of, is characterized by exponential increase. God steps into your life and does things for you that is not fair. You did not work for it. You don't deserve it. You couldn't have done enough to earn it. It's just the way God has chosen to reveal his nature in this time. Not everyone gets it. So here's what happens. The eight different parables, they, 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 they teach the same thematic truth, but from different angles, so that every parable, we see another, yet another angle, yet another benefit, another characteristic of this life that you and I are, are challenged to live in. And it's important to dissect this, these and know this because there's nothing more miserable than walking in the middle of, of, of great, great abundance that you are authorized to partake of you have been granted access to it and still not yet figure out how to get your hands on it there's a reason why they're called mysteries or everybody would know it and everybody would be living the ridiculous elevated vertical life these truths must be seen heard and understood by the revelation of the spirit now let's so let's talk about some of the parables so you get what i'm talking about it's another it's jesus's more comprehensive way of saying eyes have not seen ears have not heard y'all are sitting here listening to me talk and i'm having to tell everything that's 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 i'm offering i'm having to Everything that I'm, I'm throwing at you, I'm sitting here piling this up in front of you and I'm having to share it with you in parables because you, gotta, you, you have to exercise some discernment to be able to really enjoy the fullness of this can't come free and easy. You're already getting what you don't deserve and you're already being protected from what you do deserve. Come on, somebody. Is anybody else in here that feels that way? That's what God has done in my life. I'm living in the middle of blessings that I do not deserve, and I'm being protected from the things that I do deserve. Now, maybe I'm the only hoodlum, former scallywag in the bunch. I don't know. That was a weak amen. But some of y'all, if you got what you deserve, you wouldn't be sitting in here tonight. You'd be sleeping out under that bridge over there somewhere. Ouch, that's mean. No, that's, that's, that's how mean some of us have been. But for God. All right. So he, he, he tells, I'm not going to go in the, particular, the exact order that he tells the parables. But the first one of the parables he talks about, parable number one, he talks about the seed sown on various types of ground. I think sometimes we miss that because we go straight to the moral of the story or the parable is the type of ground. And yes, the type of ground has some typology and some significance to it. But, but what it does, if you understand the parable incorrectly, you look at the wrong aspect of it, is you become way too discretionary concerning the sowing of your seed and the declaring of the word. 
Jesus says, this is, what, this is a parable that characterizes the kingdom. A man goes out and he freely sows seed. Some of it falls on this kind of ground. Some of it falls on this kind of ground. And some fall. Listen, the guy that sowed on the seed didn't know the different kinds of ground that the seed was falling on. And that's the point of the parable. Because we get paralyzed because we're looking too closely and prejudging and predetermining the quality of the ground before we'll throw out the seed. And you and I don't have the ability to know if beneath the surface it's good ground or it's thorny ground or stony ground. The parable seeks to, to, to tell us, to, to, to impart this idea to us. That when it comes to reaping the bounty of the kingdom, you've got to learn how to sow freely. Now relax, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about speaking and declaring the word. Some of us only declare the word and the promises of God when we're around people that we feel may accept what we're saying. I'm not talking about just them or witnessing to them, although that's that's part of it. But the things that I need to be saying about my life and my future. If I'm around somebody that I'm a little concerned, they might think I'm weird. If I declare what what my life is moving toward, then I'll refrain. But the way life works in the kingdom, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he says, the sower goes forth and he just sows seed. He doesn't worry about the condition of the ground he's sowing seed on. He doesn't try to pre-qualify. He doesn't try to overly, you know, accurately discern everything. He just sows the seed. And he says, and it brings forth a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100. The chance... The opportunity for exponential increase is there. But you have to understand the principle of the kingdom that the parable is trying to teach us. And that is, is that if you sow sparingly, you shall... If you try to discern things that you and I are not qualified to discern... I don't know everybody's heart. For heaven's sakes, the Bible tells me I don't even know my own... It's deceitful. It's desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? If I can't accurately know at all times my own heart, how in the world can I try to figure out everybody else? You know why some people, you know why some people only reap? And I've heard a hundred messages on why 30, 60, and 100. Do you know why some people only reap 30-fold? Because they only threw 30-fold worth of seed. Some reaped 60. You know why? Because they threw 60-fold worth of seed. Some reap 100-fold. You know why? Because they just like closed their eyes and threw it. Sowed it. So speak the word indiscriminately. If you want a great return, stop overly dissecting everything 
in every situation that you speak. You speak life. Period. Come on, high five your neighbor and say, speak life. 24-7, when people are listening, declare it. When they're not listening. My mother had some classic, classic lines with us kids growing up. You know, we couldn't dare. My, my, okay. We, we, we couldn't, we, we were, had very, very, very careful how, how we responded to a chewing out from my mother. Let's put it that way. And she could read eyes, and you could get a whooping for moving your eyes in the wrong direction at the wrong time. I'm not sure why I even shared that. Point is, it'll come back to me. I just forgot what the point is. The point is, is you just close your eyes and you sow. You speak the word. Oh, I don't know what it was. All right. So, so I, 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 I need to, I need to, I need to get deeper into it in my life more indiscriminately. I'm, I'm framing this in a personal way. You all with me? You put yourself in there. I'm too, I'm too selective as to when I declare the things, you know, there's sometimes I declare something concerning my family, my future, what, what I know God's moving me into, and I, I feel what y'all feel when you say it about your life. I feel the witness of the Holy Spirit go, and then, you know, sometimes you connect it to the scenario in which you said it. Like, you making a declaration about your future had anything to do with somebody that happened to be around there to hear you say it. You say it when people are agreeable. You say it when people are high-fiving you and supporting you. And you say it when people are laughing you in the face, when they're ridiculing you, when they're combating you with all the reasons why what you're declaring over your life is not going to happen. But you keep saying it. The sower went forth and he sowed seed, period. The second parable is he talks about, again, it has to do with too concerted of an effort to be the one that makes the discretions. What I mean by that is the parable is, is about a man who goes and he sows good seed in the field and he lays down at night and the parable goes this way, that sometime in the night the enemy comes in and he sows tares or weeds. And when the guy goes out to check his harvest, there are good things, there are things that he expected that pop out of the ground. There is a crop. There is a, a, a plant that he was expecting to see. And then it's surrounded by weeds. And the question becomes, he asks his servants, he says, who did this? And they said, the enemy has come in and done this. And Jesus finishes the parable by saying, that man does not need to go out and try to pluck the weeds and clear everything out so that the plant can grow up by itself. He says he is to just water them all. 
And when the harvest comes, the angel of the harvest knows how to come through with the sickle and divide the wheat from the tares. I think this has to do with a lot of things in the kingdom in terms of attributes. I think, I think some of us are too selective with our love. I love people that love to be loved. People that are just flat out mean and nasty. Men, is that ever hard? We don't know what's beneath the surface in their life. But it comes back to the first parable that he speaks of, the 30, 60, and 100. In other words, there's varying degrees of return. And the varying degrees of return have a lot to do with this with how indiscriminately, how overly careful are we in doing and giving and manifesting what should be done freely and willingly and without discrimination. Yes? The man who sows seed in his field and the tares appeared speaks to us of this. No weapon formed against us will prosper. How do you get that out of that parable? Well, it's easy because the tares grow up next to what the seed produced. No weapon formed against us means this, that, that the weapons will be formed against you. It means that you should expect with confidence that it is irrelevant. You should expect adversity knowing that it only can come so far and God will put a stop to it. You should not get shocked and surprised and get you know thrown into this world when this tailspin of doubt and unbelief and questioning what did I do and God why would you treat me that way if I had done something wrong and all of these crazy rabbit trails we go down in our faith when the fact is is in the kingdom of God you will have tribulation you will have adversity you will have people when two people want the same thing the result is automatic warfare You're going to have adversity. In the kingdom of God, you should expect adversity. You should expect trouble. You should expect weapons of warfare to be formed against you, but you should walk with confidence that they will not prosper. I wonder, you know, sometimes how how many of us are, are, are thrown sideways because we misread the purpose. Remember when the blind, uh, they brought the blind man to Jesus and his disciples said, Lord, who sinned that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, why, why, why would you even be looking for that, that cause? It's irrelevant. He said, neither. He said, this, is, this man is in this condition so that the glory of God might be manifest in him. Amen? You're going to be challenged, but you will overcome Adversity is going to appear, but God will sort it all out. He goes into the mustard seed. I'm almost out of time. Ben, come help me. I mean, let me, let me save the mustard seed for next week, but let me finish tonight with the leaven hidden in three loaves of bread. I love this one because um, oftentimes leaven in Scripture is primarily associated with sin and with terrible applications. 
negative, dark applications, right? But here in Mark, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a woman. And he spins it all in a very positive light. A woman who takes leaven and puts it in three loaves of bread and all the loaves become leavened. Because it's not that leaven is sinful, it's that there is a characteristic in leaven. And that characteristic is also true to character when it comes to sin. You let one sin go unrepented of and unchecked in your life and before you know what happened, it is now three. You let that go and now it is 12. Because the Bible says sin when it is finished brings forth death. Well, you gotta know what leaven is. How many of y'all understand what leaven is? Or how that was made, how they came about leaven, right? They didn't, they didn't you know, reach and grab a packet of Fleischmann's yeast and pour it into the dough. Neither did they have self-rising dough. And it sounds kind of gross what they would do, but here's how you came up with leaven. You baked, a, you baked a, a, a loaf of bread. Everything's mixed in and kneaded and ready. And then you pinch off a little ball of the dough and then you come over here and you divide it into three or four really small balls. And then you put it somewhere up in the cupboard where it's dark and dry. And, and overnight, those little, those little balls of dough, they get green fuzz on them. We look at that and we throw it out because it's mold, right? That was yeast. So the next day now, when they are... Bake it, putting all their ingredients together to bake a loaf of bread, they go and get one of those balls that had the green, fuzzy stuff growing all over it, and they take it and they knead it into the brand new dough. That's leaven. And then there were these periodic, there were feasts, and there were times of the year where they were told to go, and because that, how many of y'all understand, that could keep increasing, and at some point, then it's just way too much. And so the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and different times of the year, what they would have to do is go to the cupboard and clear out all the old yeast and start with a fresh batch, a batch of fresh lump. But what Jesus says, he reminds us, is listen, this is a... This is the normal, this is normal in the kingdom. That life, everything little turns into much. Five minutes of prayer will have the impact of an hour of prayer. But if we can't do five minutes of prayer, we get discouraged. Pray for five minutes. Don't get depressed because you can't pray an hour. I know that Jesus walked up with his disciples and said, can't you tarry with me for, for one hour? And we feel like if we can't pray any, any prayer less than an hour, we're, just, we're never going to really be hardcore. One puts a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand, three, who knows? The point is, is he tells the parable of the leavened bread. He said, here's what the kingdom of God is like. And when he opens every parable by saying that, he's saying, this is what is normal concerning the kingdom. It's not a rare occurrence. It's not for the elite green beret. It's not for, you know, a, a, a secluded group of people. This is what should be normal in the kingdom of God. Every little thing you do ought to hit the anointing of exponential growth. Little becomes much. Say, well, what does that, that mean for me? It means don't despise the little things that you can do. 
You do the little things. You sow the little things, the insignificant things, the minor things. You do the five minutes of prayer. You pray in the spirit for third, you know, for, for three minutes on your way to work or in between red lights or whatever. Do what you can. It's the normal cycle of things in the kingdom that little automatically becomes much. Not every once in a while, not for the chosen few, but this is what normalcy in the kingdom of God is like. And if you can discern that by the spirit, then it becomes your normal. 